She betrayed my family. I will make her pay. The sweet redhead in our building isn't as innocent as we thought. She brought a fed into our circle. Got my twin brother shot. Now she will pay. I'm putting her in charge of nursing him back to health. If he dies, she dies. That's what I told her anyway. Of course I wouldn't actually harm her. Our beautiful neighbor is already under my skin. But that won't stop me from punishing her. Then touching her in all the ways I vowed I wouldn't. She's ruined my peace, become a distraction I can't afford. I want to keep her under my control. I need to keep her out of my heart. That's The Hacker by Renee Rose, Chicago Bratva, book five, out today. Welcome back, lady listeners. Hey, we're here for the second installment of A.M. Johnson into Elysium. I forgot to even mention that it was male, male. Like I had that written down on my stuff. And then when I was reading the book bio and I said it, it was on there and I was like, I don't even think I said that when we were discussing it, but Hey, guess what? Lady listeners, you got a mail mail this week. Well, well, I Let's love a good mail mail. I read Fuck a few yeah, a year. I, I get really excited when I get a good one. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. I am always down for it. And it's like, even better to get it in like a bite size. That way you can check out the author a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, I, you know, it's funny, too, because you wouldn't think, like, as a straight woman, like, that would be hot. But it really is. It is really hot. And, you know, I feel like when huh. I read male-male, I get to kind of step – I think when I read a lot of male-female, I put myself within the character a little bit. When I read male-male, mm-hmm. I find that I'm, like – it's like you're their best friend cheering them on. Mm-hmm. You get to kind of step yeah. back from the couple and be yeah. like, yes, mm-hmm. go. Oh, my God, I can't mm-hmm. believe we did that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Do you know what is funny, though, is that I remember one of my friends is a lesbian. We were discussing porn, and she was saying that she watches male-male porn. And I was like, seriously? Like, you're a lesbian. Like, you've mm-hmm. got to watch female. And she was like, girls fake it. She was like, guys can't fake it on porn. And I was like... It's true. Hold up. Like, mind blown. I was like, you're totally right, because I don't watch... Reg- I don't watch regular porn. Like I don't. I don't consider what I watch regular. I don't like, either. Porn. <laughs> like it's, it's a little fucked up. But like, I like straight. Like just everyday average porn guy and girl fucking. Absolutely not. No way in hell. No. Because the girls, like she said, they fake it. Like it just. It seems so disingenuous. Yeah. So seeing two men go at it, like, yeah. I can't really fake that. And I can see why that is more appealing. It's hot. It is. Maybe that's why women like me. I don't know. I so. Let's have, let's have a whole episode on this. I'm just kidding. All right. So the other night, Sunday, well, actually Saturday, my friend tagged me in a Facebook post. And it was Gabrielle Union was doing a speaking engagement. She's on a book tour right now for her new book. It's called Do You Got Anything Stronger? Or, Yeah. And um, it's her second book because the first one was like, we're going to need some wine or something like that. And so the next book is, do you got anything stronger? And so she was on a book tour and my friend tagged me in a post to win tickets. And she texts me that night. She's like, I fucking won. Oh, and I was like, no shit. And she was like, yeah. She was like, we get a book with the tickets too. And she was like, let's go. And I was like, awesome. So it was Sunday night. It was in Charlotte. 
and we rode out, and it was in the theater. And I don't know, do you know who the um, comedian Fortune Feimster is? She's kind of like the bigger lady. She's a lesbian, got really short blonde hair that's really curly, like kinky curly kind of mullet. But she's a comedian, and she's from um, Belmont, North Carolina, which is like 20 minutes down the road from me. She has a Netflix special, and she does her stand-up inside a church. That's where we went. So if you're a fan of Fortune Feimster at all, if you watch her stand up on Netflix, that's the theater I was in. It's an old church where they do stuff at, and she makes a joke about lesbians being in the church and doing jokes, but whatever. But anyway, so Gabby, Gabrielle Union, Gabby and I, we're old friends now. <laughs> and uh, so she was there in the theater, and so she came out, and it was really cool how it was set up. There was um, a local journalist here that we all know and love, Brigida. But she was here and she was interviewing her. So Brigida had read the book and had notes on it and was asking her about it. And so Gabby was answering them and speaking to the audience. And the audience actually got ahead of time to submit questions. One of the things I really loved was that there were several husbands that were there, which I thought was really cool that they came along with this because her book is really about her life experience how she's used it in her healing journey through therapy and through like trauma and PTSD and things like that, that she's experienced in her life and how she's learned from it and having a child that is, um, I don't, it's, I, I think, I'm not sure if her daughter is trans or if, um, she's just in the LGBTQIA plus community. So just like her experience with that and like how they welcome that into their family, like I said, we all got the book with it, but I will say as a white woman, I was definitely in the minority in this, which I found really like po a positive experience yeah. only because, well, not only because, but in, in a large part, because when she discussed like things about like mental health, um, therapy with spouses, she was like, you know, this is something that is still really stigmatized in the black community. And so she was just talking about like their experience and how to share it with their friends and families and stuff. And so I just took away so many great messages from there. And um, one of the things that I mentioned on Instagram, and I, put, I posted the same thing I said on Instagram on TikTok because I just thought it was really great to share, was that every week she does a Woman Crush Wednesday where she shines light on someone that she thinks is amazing either in their field or in the industry or someone she just really appreciates and so she said, you know, I'll post it up and my girlfriends will be message me and be like, what are you doing? She don't even like you, you know, like, what are you doing? And she said, someone doesn't have to like me in order for me to recognize the good they're doing. And it really like struck uh, my yeah. heart. Like when she said that, I was like, damn. And she said, she was like, why do, why do my emotions or why does if they like me have anything to do with how great they are? You know, it's just like, shit, like that's such a fair point. And so she was saying, and the message again that I took from it was that, you know, just because this person doesn't like who I am, doesn't mean that when I share this, that it won't resonate with my friends, my followers, like people who see me and see this person that I'm shining light on. What if their message helps them? Yeah. You know, what, what does it matter if that person likes me, if I think their message is beneficial? And it was just like, wow, like it really was like taking a step back and putting like ego aside yeah. and just being like, yeah, what they're doing is better than if they like me. It's just yeah. like, whatever. I don't like everybody. Everybody's not going to like me, you know? It's true. It's like, 
I know. I've always thought that's one thing I've tried to live by or I've tried to over the past few years is mm-hmm. just because you necessarily don't like somebody or something, don't allow that person to make you act out of character. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, like, if that's, you know, if her goal is to be positive and inclusive and to share, like, yeah, it shouldn't matter if this person likes you or not to be like, oh, no, they're really incredible. You should follow them or, you know, you should look at their product or whatever it is, you know, like that was just a really great message. Something else that she said that really resonated with me that both she and the moderator discussed was that what you don't heal, you repeat. And I like, I know I'm paraphrasing that too, because she had like a really eloquent way to say it. But I took notes while I was there. I was like, I'm just such an idiot where I'm like at this, you know, speaking engagement. But she said, what we repeat, what we don't repair. And so she said, that's like the hurt that you've experienced in your life to stop and take a moment and either recognize that it's happened or recognize the role you played in this hurt yeah, and not take it forward, not take it to your next relationship, not take it into your family and not take it into tomorrow to recognize what you have done. Because if you don't heal from that, you are just going to continue to carry it with you. Yeah. And I was just like, when she really had that talk, I was just like, God, I mean, it, and it's such a simple thing. And of course I know that. But having it pointed out, it's kind of like therapy, you know, where it's like, I know, like, okay, I know that in the back of my mind, like, duh, like, of course, I need to heal from my trauma. So I'm not an asshole to people. But at the same time, it's like, oh, no, you're going to continue. It's like a bag, like carrying this around. You're going to take it with you everywhere you go until you go through it. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, shit. Like that was, it was, you know, it was really, really, it was a, it was a beautiful experience, you know, only... Like just the, it just made me feel great, you know, <laughs> like to sit there and just feel really good about her positive message and also to listen to her experiences with being a black woman in her job and in Hollywood and, you know, being an actor and the things that she regretted where she said, you know, I regret that I let people talk a certain way around me. I regret that I allowed people to say things around me that I shouldn't have. I regret making myself small so that they didn't notice that I was in the room. And I was just like, oh, my God, like to hear that, you know, and to hear her experiences of going abroad and how she was treated as a black woman. She was like, you know, I'm Gabrielle Union. and I'm getting like chased down the street in Croatia because I'm black. And I was like, what the fuck? And it's like, it's, that's the chapter in her book when she goes to Croatia Damn. and like how she was like chased out of like this racist Nazi bar. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's crazy. But so she's like, you know, used all those experiences and she's like, my biggest thing that is to share, to share information, to share experiences. So we all understand that this is happening to all of us, Yeah, you know, and so I was just, I was just really happy I got to go. It was it was a cool experience. I um, like that when you said regret making yourself small. It reminds me of that making people feel comfortable. So you do you act a certain way to make others feel mm-hmm. comfortable when sometimes you really shouldn't. You should make people feel yeah. uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Especially of what men. They're doing. But what? <laughs> 
Men are trash. <laughs> uh, that should be the title of this podcast. Read me romance, men are trash. Uh, we're having a male mail book this week, but they're wonderful. <laughs> I just, not all men are trash, but you know, yeah. you know the saying. So um, one of the things that, one of the questions that people asked her was, how do you approach um, counseling to a couple that you know? That you have a couple that you think could benefit from counseling. How do you open that discussion? And she said, actually, with my first husband, she said, a friend of mine, and she said who the name was, and she's probably a celebrity, but I didn't remember. But she said she bought us sessions, therapy sessions. She was like, oh, is it that obvious <laughs> that, we're, that we're not happy? Oh, shit. <laughs> like, it didn't work, but it was a very generous gift. <laughs> but, um... And then, so I, I just wondered, like, how as a couple, and I even had a friend of mine ask this recently, because she's like, I don't think my husband would ever go to therapy with me, but I think we could really benefit from it. I think how everybody could benefit that? from it. I, absolutely. Normalized therapy is fucking awesome. I, I watched that, even that marriage couples boot camp. And I'll uh-huh. ask Rob questions. I'm like, these are great questions. I'm like, I'm not even in this, and I'm learning incredible mm-hmm. things to take into my own relationship and things I've never even mm-hmm. thought about. Yeah, yeah. So how do you think you could approach, let's say your spouse didn't want to go to counseling? Like, I don't know. I, I would wonder- be really, really upset if I went to my spouse. And been like, you know, yeah. this isn't, I need help and I need you. Yeah, yeah. I need help. I need you to come with me in this experience. Yeah. Because everybody yeah. going into therapy thinks the same thing. The therapist is going to tell them that they're wrong. You both are thinking <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no <laughs> That's but not the case. To say, I want yeah. you to come with me on this. I need this. That's probably what I, I would definitely say. definitely think that's that's a great piece of advice to to frame it as in the fact that I need help and I need you to come with me to get help. You know, because I think oftentimes, you know, when I bicker with, you know, my husband or whatever, when I see couples arguing, it's just, it's the stupidest shit, but it's not the problem. You yeah. know, like it's that's, not, it's no, never whoa. about the trash. It's never <laughs> about the trash needing to be taken out. No. <laughs> so like... You know, one of the things that I was talking to my friend about, and I said, what if you just phrased it like, we are not, like, they, she was telling me about, like, you know, they're, they're having this thing where they keep, like, having the same argument over and over. And I said, what if you just phrased it to him in the fact of, like, we don't know how to figure this out. Why don't we have a mediator listen to us and tell us, give us tools on how to uh, come to a mutual agreement on this? You know, because it's like, sorry, uh, uh, go ahead. No, no, because go ahead. no. One of the greatest points is you people have that all the time. They're having that, an argument, the same argument, and neither one mm-hmm. of them seem to communicate. I think one of the best tools I've ever learned for something like that was you. No matter what somebody says in a fight, even if you think they are wrong, when they tell you what they're feeling or why it's that way, you have to validate that. Even if you yeah. don't agree with it, you have yeah. to validate that you heard it. You have to understand it and tell them that you understand it or they're not going to be yeah. heard. Yeah. And it's not, you know, that it's so true because it's not up to you to decide what they feel. Where they're like, if you're like, I feel neglected or I feel mad or I feel used, yeah. 
you know, even if that wasn't your intention, listening and saying, like, I, I don't, you don't get to decide that they feel used, that they feel upset, that they feel, you know, like just put in a corner. You know, that's not like, that's not up to you to decide. I think that's a great piece I of advice. I don't know. I think that's always resonated with me is that even if you don't yeah. agree with what they are saying, you mm-hmm. have to validate it and you have to say, I, I heard you. Mm-hmm. And their point is valid still. Mm-hmm. I also listened to, there was um, a podcast discussion I watched. It was a video of it. And it was these guys that were talking. And this one guy said, he said that the, he, he was talking about another situation. So it was like a friend of a friend, I guess. But he said that this guy came to me. And he's like, I don't understand why my wife is so upset. I'll tell her all the time. I'll do anything you want if you just ask me. Like, tell me to empty the dishwasher. I'll do it. Tell me to wash clothes. I'll do it. Tell me to clean the house. I'll do it. Just tell me. And this guy had a really great point because he said, he was like, that's awesome that you're willing to do those things. He said, but all that does is put the work back on your wife. Because that means it's her responsibility to tell you what to do. And instead, why don't you look at her while she's cooking or cleaning or chasing kids and trying to figure out dinner? Why don't you look at her because she's telling you, help me fucking figure this out. Instead of waiting to be told like a child what your chore is. Yeah. And I was just like. Can we play this for everybody? <laughs> like, can we? Can we just line up? But I know you say that, but I once had a therapist tell me that I cannot expect things from people I do not ask for. I'm setting up everybody to fail. To, I think that to a certain extent, yes, yes, to a certain. But I think there is also something to be said about them coming up to you and say. What can I do instead of sitting there on the couch playing yeah. on their phone or watching TV and being told something? You know, it's like, I'm going to chill over here and do nothing until you tell me to do something. Yeah. Why don't you get up and get over here and ask what you can do? Because asking and being told are two fucking different yes, things. They are. Yeah. And so, like, it's. It, I just, that really, like, hit home with me. I mean, not that, like, that's my experience all the time, but I just thought, I never thought about, because I, I never thought of it in that way, because my husband is great, and if I do ask him to do something, he's more than happy to chip in and help or whatever, but I never recognized the fact that, like, oh, no, it's still my responsibility to, to somehow group, organize, yeah. and then then just mandate what's going to happen, yeah. you know? No, you're right. You're 100% it, right. I just never thought of it in I'm that, sure that's like, aspect I'm sure with every before. woman that's listening right now. <laughs> yeah. So if you're listening to this, go home and play this for your husband. I still and just remember say, um, one time you said a long, probably years and years ago, and it's always stuck with me, was um, if you win, they lose. Yep. Mm-hmm. That is always Aren't stuck they, are, with me. Yep. Our marriage therapist told us that probably 15 years ago. And it's like, <laughs> if you win this fight, they lose. It's like, oh my. And do you want to see your spouse lose? No. Do you want your spouse to lose? Yeah. And it's like, in the, the other thing that he told us, David was amazing. He was our therapist when we were in South Carolina. But um, one of the things that he, that he said that still stuck with me just like that, it was if 
if you're like if you win and your partner loses, what are what do you want from that? Like, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Yeah, do you want to be right? And or that's do you be the happy? one. Yeah, and that one like stuck with me a lot. And I think we both, even my husband and I, still to this day, we consider that in an argument. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Like, what is it that you want out of this right now? Because if you want to be right, then fine. Be right. You're right. You win. Okay. How does that feel? Because all it does is mean that I'm wrong and I'm at fault. And that feels like shit for me. And if making me feel like shit makes you happy, we're not connected. Something's wrong here. Yeah. So that was always like one of my favorite pieces of advice that he gave us. But you don't necessarily have to go in that there's a huge problem. Just like people get marriage counseling before they even get married. It's just a great tool to learn because... I doubt, I highly doubt anybody is in a relationship with somebody who has like the same love language as them. I don't even think that's possible. <laughs> I don't know. Or that is able to give the way the person wants to receive. Yes. Like, oh, this is how I give my love. I want to receive love like this. That, that never works both ways. There's usually, never. that's a reason why you usually slide together so well is your uh-huh. differences, but you still yeah. have to be able to mm-hmm. communicate. Mm-hmm. Well, and the therapist that gave us both those really great pieces of advice. I mean, it was, we weren't having any problems. It was a time when we went where we were like newly together. I don't think we were not, we were not married yet. We'd only been together like maybe two years and I had gotten out of a really bad relationship previously. And that was one where I was like, okay, I don't want to fuck this up yeah. because of what I've been through. And so when I asked my husband was like, or at the time, my boyfriend, he was like, sure, let's do it. Like just gung ho for it, which I thought was great. And so we actually went and we got so many incredible tools that we still use. I mean, like I said, this has been probably 15 years ago that we still know that we still had that reassurance from that. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was the best thing we could have ever done. It was so beneficial. So I've got lady listener emails. Let's do it. You want to stop getting heavy for a little bit? <laughs> oh, this is going to be heavy for one more second oh, because I I mentioned this email to you last week, and I just want to I want to say it on here, and I'm not going to call this person out. Oh, and I'm just going to say it because I think it needs to be That's, said. This is why I actually said the one comment where I was like, sometimes people need to be uncomfortable. Because I actually yes. was thinking about this. <laughs> okay, so I know that if you've been listening the past couple of weeks, you know about my whole debacle with Facebook and my former friend that had like messaged me and was just kind of a dick about sending me messages and not saying anything for over four years, just sending really obnoxious political emails. So this lady listener wrote, um, one thing to consider in those memes over four years where there were no where there were no messages, he probably used a send all function. So he was not sending you to it to you personally. Those are not just political memes that you can send to all with no message. It doesn't excuse the rest of him and the other guy's behavior, but just FYI, some people do send all. It's not personal. So I just wanna say that I got your email. I understand maybe what you're trying to say, but how I read that is is that he should be not excused for his behavior, but I feel like this is just another level of a woman making an excuse for a man being a fucking asshole. And I feel and like we're programmed to reactionally do that. 
to to not find an excuse, but to find an explanation. And this is a situation that didn't need an explanation. He's a fucking dickhead. The end. That's the end of it. There doesn't need to be like, well, maybe he did it because of this. We don't need to rationalize his shitty behavior over a four-year period. We don't need to, you know, come to an agreement the final conclusion is he's an asshole. But I sometimes think that it's ingrained women to have a knee-jerk reaction to do that. Yes. Like it's been built into To don't us. make him mad. Yeah, don't make to him To don't mad. make him mad. Don't, don't make the guy angry. Like just chill. Be calm. Back out of a situation. And I get that to an extent because we're also raised to be afraid of men. Physically. I mean, you know, the the woman's biggest fear is like being raped and murdered and a man's is public speaking. Like there's a big like... You know, there's a big gender, like, equation right there that's not adding up. So, you know, I think as women, too, we're taught, like, be nice, be calm, make it easy. Like, don't make it uncomfortable. Don't, don't, yeah, don't make him uncomfortable. Don't rock the boat. Like, explain it away so you don't have to be uncomfortable. Explain it away so you don't have to be upset anymore. I'm okay with being upset. The guy's an asshole. The whole situation was bullshit. His wife was fucking crazy whatever but like that's it like that's all that needed to be said so i got the email and i just want to say i receive it i understand what you were trying to say in your intent but for those who had that same thought when i was explaining that story fuck him that's the that's the bottom line fuck him so now on to good stuff (laughs) we don't have to explain their behavior or make excuses for them we don't have to. We're we're moving on. That's it. We're, we said what we said. That's a that's a real housewife thing, right? I said what I yep, said. Yeah, that's Nini. That right? Nini Lee. I said what yeah. I said. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, Isla Glass is going to be on our podcast. She has an audiobook with us in a couple of weeks. But she sent me an email the other day, and we were talking back and forth about a couple of things about her book. And then she said, oh, I wanted to say this earlier. I don't know if you got my email like a year ago. I probably did. It's somewhere in the in the pit of despair. But I just wanted to say thank you. Your podcast gave me the book idea for Dirty Escort. It was the episode when you were talking about male escorts. I didn't know that there were actually real places that you can get a male escort that was legal. So I made it in the book that it was a male escort service that has a sex part on the side. I thought that male escorts or escorts in general were like fake boyfriends that you that you get for the night. No sex related. I might redo the book in that case, but for now, it is what it is originally anyways. Anyways, thank you, ladies. The FMC is also, um, oh, the female main character is also a billionaire, which seems to be kind of a female character that is lacking in romance. Women billionaires. Yes. So... Yeah, so she is called Dirty Escort by um, Isla Glass. She spells that A-I-L-A, Glass. So go check that out. I thought that was really cute that she included that in her email. All right, this one says, what romance has taught me? Hey, ladies, I've been listening to older episodes, and somehow I got an idea to send you this email. It's about romance being seen as putting bad or unrealistic expectations on relationships. And I'm not going to apologize for it being long since the si- since size on this podcast doesn't matter. <laughs> so a lot of people's problems with romance seem to be that it sets unrealistic expectations for relationships. To that, I give you another perspective. 
that romance has given me an ex given me an expectation. I think romance has taught me that I can have someone more specifically deserve someone who loves me, appreciates me and respects me, which I think is sort of lacking in this world. I think that a lot of people are pressured into being with someone rather than being with the one. And when it comes to sex, romance has given me the confidence to ask for what I want. I mean, I'm happy. I'm, I'm a happy 20 year old single virgin. But I mean, this is for the future. <laughs> Look out, future soulmate. I got a blindfold and some rope and I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> I love her. I am a hopeful romantic who believes in happily ever afters in every form whether it's a relationship or a friendship. Also, I guess there is the women actually get some get to come part in romance that is also not a low or bad expectations. It's factually correct that women get to come. <laughs> Thanks for reading a PS not related to this email, but in one episode that I listened to, one of you mentioned that you only used your hand for self-pleasure once and someone who, and as someone who has been doing that for over 5 years, I was shocked. <laughs> that's it. That's, I remember we talked about that. I said we should do a no vibe July. And that was like out the door two seconds yeah. in. Yeah, I've just done that the one time. <laughs> just the one time. All right. This one says, this one's entitled, oh, does I have a subject? Hello, ladies. I am a new listener and cannot begin to tell you how happy I am that I found your podcast on Spotify. You ladies make my long and boring warehouse work days go by so fast. My boss catches me laughing all the time because of you two, but it's so worth it. Thank you so much for all that you do. Sincerely, Rochelle. Aww. That's so sweet. I love that. I, I right, like when we get some of those says, quick ones where it's like, oh, people are actually listening to us. I love you. I know. I love you. <laughs> that makes me feel so happy. This one says, a New Year's bride story that you didn't ask for but need. This subject alone, I'm in. I'm in for it. <laughs> hey, lady DJs, I know y'all didn't ask for New Year's bride stories, but when I heard you talking about holiday brides in episode 139.2, I couldn't help myself. My parents' wedding story is too cute not to share. My parents decided to do a destination wedding in Jamaica on New Year's Day. My mom always jokes that they chose that day so my dad can never forget their anniversary. The night before their wedding, they met another couple at the resort bar and asked them to be witnesses at their wedding the next day. So my parents had a beautiful wedding on the beach in Jamaica with only themselves and another couple they barely even knew. The sweetest part is that my mom and the woman she met the night before their wedding are still really close friends. I grew up taking girls weekend trips with her and her daughter. My mom's friends have since gotten divorced and remarried, but her and her new husband are currently on a cruise with my parents as I'm writing this. My parents have been married for twenty for over 27 years now, and I hope someday I'll be able to find the kind of love they have. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast and just wanted to say thank you for all you do for helping me embrace my sexuality and become more confident in who I am as a young, hot, plus-size woman. XOXO Capri. Love it. I love that okay. so much. That was perfect. Perfect. And yes, New Year's bride stories, all the bride stories, proposal <laughs> stories. Please send them in, readmeromance at gmail.com. So let's play the second installment of Into Elysium by A.M. Johnson. I just want to mention real quick before we do play, don't forget to enter her giveaway. It's a signed paperback of Dear Mr. Brody. That's the book that just came out, the most recent one. And be on the lookout, too. Um, she's got 
she's part of an anthology titled Flesh Fiction. And that is coming out. It's a short story. It's a bisexual awakening piece that's in it. It comes out October 5th. So that's going to be her upcoming release. And she's also got an audio book that's coming out October 9th. Just be sure and check out her website, amjohnsonauthor.com. She's got all of it listed on there. So be sure and do that. And then that's it. Let's go play the second part. I'll see you guys on the other side. Bye. Chapter 4. Eben. Sounds of shouting and loud footfall echoed outside my door in the hallway. Confused by the lack of sunlight, half-sleep, and groggy, I got out of bed. It took a second for my eyes to adjust to the moonlight spilling in from the window. My bunkmate's bed was empty, the candle usually on the dresser, missing. Running a hand over my head, I stared out the window as men in militia uniforms moved in an organized chaos. They filled wagons with weapons and ammunition lockers, while a couple of guards I recognized from my unit lifted boxes of rations into another wagon. What the fuck? I grabbed a shirt from the dresser and pulled it on before shoving my bare feet into boots. I opened the door to find the hallway in disorder. Half-dressed guards like me, standing with candles and sleep lines on their faces as officers ordered them to move. Let's go, let's go, let's go! A short man with gray hair and green fatigues clapped his hands. His face was severe and angry as he stared at the unmoving men. What's going on? One of the guards dared to ask. There isn't time for stupid fucking questions. Pack what you can. Take only what you need, he said. Back, I asked, realizing too late I'd spoken out loud. We're evacuating. Do I need to spell it out for you idiots? Move! He yelled. Evacuating? I stood still, my mind racing around in circles until it snagged on him. On Kale. On Arkes. On my promise. Oh, God. Kale. I didn't think, didn't take a moment to plan. I grabbed the gate keys, a few spare candles from the drawer of my dresser, and matches. I moved through a sea of fearful faces and uncertainty keeping my eyes down. The stairs were packed with men, some with large bags, others, like me, still in sleep shirts and sweats. Once outside, the night air chilled me to the bone. There was movement everywhere. Even the stables were surrounded by freedom militia with torches. Shit. They guarded the horses as the rest of the encampment prepared to flee. If Kale and I wanted to escape, we needed horses and rations and... Eben! A dust guard held up his hand as I approached Elysium. Didn't you hear? The front fell. The NEA is heading this way. We're all leaving. Elysium was hardly lit, only a few torches burning in the night. I glanced at the prison gate, worried I'd never make it inside, terrified I had no reason to. I swallowed, trying to come up with a plausible lie. I was sent. I need to... Damn it. He furrowed his brows, his eyes assessing my disheveled clothes, my untied boots. Lux sent me. The lie sounded hollow to my own ears. Lux left an hour ago, he said. I know. I lowered my voice and grit my jaw. I'm to dispatch a few of the prisoners left in the East Sector. 
He laughed, the sick sound of it slithering under my skin. Want any help? I forced a smile. I think I can handle it. He rubbed the back of his neck. Can't leave my post anyway. Not until they give us the all clear. Where are the other dusk guards? I asked. Trabin is in the North Tower. It's just us. Most of the prisoners were shot after we heard the news. A few left with Silas and Lux claiming they wanted to fight. I'd bet my last box of matches they'll be dead by sunrise. Traitors. He spat onto the gravel. Too bad you weren't working. Missed out on some target practice. My heart pounded as it fell into my stomach. Shot. Murdered. I better get inside, I managed to say. Get it over with. He smirked. Get it over with. Like you won't enjoy it. Traitors, I repeated his sentiment. Robotic, numb from the inside out. Fuck yeah. I nodded and moved toward the gate, my mouth thick with bile and nerves. Once inside, I lit a candle and left the front gate open. But as I made my way down the dark hall, it shut with a resounding and final rattle. I passed a few guards, too busy carrying boxes of rations to care about me. A smell of gunpowder and blood hovered over me. Each cell I passed, one, two, three. The scent of death swelled. No, 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 I muttered and started to jog. The lack of guards in the east sector frightened me. The place was empty, abandoned, a tomb. Kale. Fear grabbed at my throat as I ran down the hall to his cell. Kale, I yelled, the panic cracking my voice in two. I'm here, he called out, and I nearly fell to my knees in relief. Kale's eyes were wide, his lips split. A bruise colored the arch of his cheekbone in purple and blue. The skin on his knuckles was raw as he gripped the bars. Eben. He said my name like a prayer. What happened? I asked, breathless as I reached through the bars to run the tips of my fingers along his jaw. I got lucky, he said, and coughed when he tried to laugh. The card sent to shoot me ran out of bullets, I guess. So he hit me with the gun instead. I blacked out. Jesus Christ. I held his chin and slowly moved his head to the right and then the left. You could have a concussion. I'll live. Kale had my gaze. You came for me. I said I would. His Adam's apple jumped. What's the plan? There's militia everywhere, loading wagons with supplies. The stables are manned. Kale, I... He was here, alive, in front of me. I hadn't failed him. We had a chance. First things first, getting you out of here. I dropped my hand from the heat of his skin. I'll be right back. The keys to the cells are in the office. Be careful. I will. The office was locked, but I had the key. 
I set the candle on the sconce by the door and grabbed my keys from my pocket. My fingers trembled and I dropped the keys twice before I finally opened the damn thing. The office was a mess, papers strewn on the desk and floor. I slipped on a file folder in front of the combination safe. 30, 56, 19. The lock didn't budge. Come on. 30, 56, 19. Nothing. Buck. I shook my hands by my sides and sucked in a ragged breath. 30, 56, 19. I spoke the numbers out loud, taking my time, and the lock finally clicked. I exhaled and grabbed the large ring of keys, each one marked with the corresponding cell number. I took the one I needed and left the rest behind. I found Kale pacing when I got back. Did you? I held up the key and he smiled. It was small and weary, but it evened my pulse. My hand stopped shaking long enough to set the candle in the holder and unlock the door to his cell. Kale. The heavy metal creaked as the door swung open. The air shifted around me, pushing me toward Eben. It told me I was free. It told me to run. Let's get out of here, he said, and reached for my hand. The warmth of his skin was almost too much wrapped around my fingers. His hold too tight as we ran down the hall. Out of breath, I tugged on his arm and we stopped. We can't just run out of here, can we? I asked. No, we can't. He let go of my hand and dug into his pocket. He pulled out keys and nodded his chin. Come on, I'm hoping some of the guards left some clothes in the locker room. If we can make it out of Elysium, I think we should be able to get back to the encampment for supplies. That sounds like suicide. Heading into the forest without the proper supplies is suicide. The front fell, Kale. My hope is to find the closest NEA camp and surrender. Maybe they'll take us on, or maybe they'll kill us on the spot. But I'm willing to risk it. If we stay here, we die. We have to keep moving. And what about the other prisoners? I asked, knowing that they were all probably dead. I'd heard the gunshots, the screams, each loud pop closer and closer, calling out to me, shouting to me, You're next. Most are dead. Some left to fight. Let's get these uniforms and we can see if there are any survivors on our way out. Okay. Guilt weighed on me as I followed behind him. My hope dwindled as we passed several quiet cells. There was no one left to save. This way, he whispered and lowered the candle he carried. If anyone is inside. I know, I said. It's over. He nodded and gripped my hand in his again before he opened the door. The room was black and silent as we stepped in, the orange glow of the candle the only light. Eben sighed and his shoulders relaxed. He set the candle into a small sconce on the wall. He pointed toward a row of lockers. Let's split up. Find what you can and put it on. I was reluctant to let go of his hand. I'll feel better once we're outside. 
Evan grazed his knuckles over the bruise on my face, his eyes on mine. It's going to be okay. He pressed a quick, chaste kiss to my sore lips, and I wanted to believe him. I won't let anything happen to you. There was no way he could keep that promise. The cracks and fissures inside my heart knew that. But there was this small part of me, these tiny points of light Elysium hadn't stolen, that brightened under his words. I believe you. He let go of my hand. Hurry. We moved through the room as quietly as possible. I found a few uniforms, all of which were slightly too big. Settling on the smallest of the three, I stripped out of my worn pants and shirt. The cold air spread over my skin in a blanket of goosebumps. I pulled on the guard pants first, the rough fabric itchy against my skin. I took the belt off one of the bigger pairs of pants and looped it around my waist until the pants stayed put. The shirt was hopeless, but once it was buttoned up and hidden under the guard jacket, I figured I'd pass it a quick glance. I was grateful for the boots and heavy wool socks. They would keep me warm once we'd made it to the forest. If we make it, I mumbled. I found a row of sinks and washed the blood and dirt off my hands and face. The cold, clean water a luxury I couldn't allow myself to get lost in. Your hair, Evan said, and I jumped. It's a dead giveaway. I turned and found him in full uniform, smiling. I'm pretty sure all of this is a dead giveaway. I waved my hand down my body. Nothing fits. I should have eaten more. He handed me a hat. Yes, you should have. I slipped on the hat and tucked some of the longer strands of my bangs under the rim. Better. Eben didn't answer. Taking my hand in his, he led us to the locker room door. He turned to look at me as he grabbed the candle from the sconce his dark eyes serious and commanding. Don't speak. If we're stopped, I'll answer the questions. And keep your eyes down. Are you scared? I asked, the fear festering inside of me as we stepped out into the hall. It was empty. I just want to get the fuck out of here. I did as Evan had told me. I kept my eyes down. I didn't dare look into the cells as we passed. There were no survivors. Every door left in our wake instead of hope came more panic. The closer we got to freedom, the tighter the noose around my neck cinched. There were guards in this next corridor on my way in. They were taking boxes of ration toward the front gates. Just follow my lead, all right. Shivering, my bones quaked. Yeah. We turned the corner, and the first sounds of life hit me like a brick. My feet stopped moving without my permission as voices carried down the hall. Kale. Evan pulled on my hand. We have to. You too, a voice commanded. Grab some boxes. The last wagons are leaving in an hour. Stop standing around. Evan dropped my hand like it had burned him. Yes, officer. What are we going to do? I whispered. Trust me, just grab a box, he said. 
I picked up the smallest one I can find, unsure of my arms after months of starving myself. Take those to the wagons by the North Tower, the officer said, and rested his hand on the gun strapped to his hip. And hurry the fuck up! My fingers gripped the box with all the strength I had, my eyes on Eben's back as we moved toward the front gate. Toward freedom. Chapter 5 Kale The hem of my pants dragged and scraped along the concrete, the loud sound grating, a sure sign I didn't belong. It wasn't until the scent of mildew and sweat and blood gave way to sage and burning wood that I realized how close I was to freedom. The soft, cool air hit my face and I almost wept. My feet stumbled and I had to grip the box in my hand, my fingers aching. This way, a male voice said, and I forgot myself. I glanced in his direction and he narrowed his black eyes. Wait, he ordered, and I heard Eben curse under his breath. Sir. Eben stood at attention and I tried to mirror his confidence, drowning in my uniform like a child in his father's suit. The man inspected the box in Eben's hands, then mine. He was short and round, his flesh red from the sun. I thought if I reached out and touched him, his skin would feel like the pair of leather boots I had on my feet. Yours is open, he said, and my arms started to shake. I is it? I asked, keeping my eyes down like I should have done in the first place. Sit it on the ground and turn out your pockets. Eben cleared his throat. Sir, I would have seen. The man dressed in militia fatigues glared at us. Turn out your pockets, too. I lowered the heavy box to the ground, my heart pounding like a frantic drum. I couldn't slow my breathing, too afraid to look at Eben, afraid of what our eyes would give away. A cold layer of sweat formed on my forehead, my fingertips numb as I pulled out my pockets. The man knelt down and rummaged through the box. I watched as he stole a few packets and stuffed them into his pockets. Fucking hypocrite. I curled my fists as he opened Eben's box and took another few packets. He leaned into Eben. Say a word about this to anyone, and I'll put a bullet in your head. Eben's jaw flexed. Yes, sir. Get these boxes to the wagon. There's no time to waste. We both watched in silence as he walked toward the barbed wire gates of Elysium. My breath was stuck in my throat, anger boiling in my empty stomach. This box of rations would last me three months, and I had to hand them over to people who would kill me if they had the chance. Let's go. Eben lifted his box and I did the same. But instead of walking toward the caravan, he turned toward the trees. Eben, I hissed. Someone will see. No one is paying attention. How can you be sure? I asked, looking over my shoulder. He would have been shot on sight. Officer or not, you don't steal from the mouths of soldiers. It's a death sentence. If anyone had seen, he'd be dead by now. Isn't that what we're doing? No. What we're doing is worse. The shade of the pines covered us, 
the smell of fire and smoke and fear dissipated. We're traitors now. We walked for a few minutes in silence, nothing but the sound of our coarse breaths and the faint chaos of the camp. The voices seemed to surround us even with the tall trees as cover. I think this is far enough, he said, and lowered his box. I set my box on top of his, the muscles in my arms burned. We've hardly walked a quarter of a mile. Evan, this isn't safe. I'm going back for supplies. You mean we're going back for supplies? He shook his head and stepped close enough I could smell the sweat on his skin. He gripped my arms and leveled me with his gaze. No, it's too much of a risk. It's easier this way. If you stay here, I can move faster. No one will stop me if I'm alone. I get it, I said, my pulse speeding through my veins. I'm too obvious. He nodded and took off my hat. My hair fell over my forehead and his lips twitched. I won't be long. We have all the food we'll need in these boxes, but we can't carry it all like this. We need packs. I'll grab a few things and come right back, okay? My throat felt tight. And what if you don't? I hardly knew him, but this last month, his kindness, his heart, it was the only real thing left in my small world. My world that had been reduced to night and dread and terror. He'd given me light, and the thought of going back to the dark hours of my life I'd rather die inside that cell, never having met him at all. I'd tasted freedom in his kiss, and the air in these woods. I couldn't do this alone. I couldn't do this without him. Then you keep walking, Kale. You were never meant to die here. Eben rested his strong hand against my face, and I closed my eyes. I'll be back as fast as I can. Eben. Soldiers hooked the horses to the wagons. The guards, armed now, loaded the last remaining boxes as I walked out of the bunkhouse. I had no idea what I would find, figuring anything of worth would have been taken. But I'd been able to grab two sleeping bags and two backpacks from the closet I'd shared with my bunkmate. I'd filled the packs with necessities only, a few pairs of warm socks and a canteen I'd had stowed away in my footlocker. The night sky had lightened the morning sun threatening to expose me with its pink dawn. I exhaled a sigh of relief when a few of the wagons pulled away, and with the guards preoccupied, I moved. Keeping close to the building, I had to remind myself to breathe. I could feel my pulse in my fingertips and toes, my heart punching my sternum as I broke away from the building, pushing my legs to run, to sprint, to burn until I found myself on the edge of camp. I keeled over my hands on my knees, and puked onto the dried pine needles. Shit. I sputtered and wiped my mouth with the back of my hand. I moved deeper into the woods, and all I could hear was the pounding of hooves. I stood and listened to the reassuring beat until all that was left was a silence that soothed me to the core. Sunlight peeked through the trees and it gave me the energy I needed to keep going. Eben? Kay whispered as I approached. Jesus, you scared me. 
He threw himself into my arms, and his whole body shook as I hugged him. Kale cried, and the sound of it was tired and relieved and happy. He curled his fists into the fabric of my jacket and pulled me close enough that his breath became my breath. It's okay. We're going to be okay. He let go and ran both of his hands through his hair. Were you able to find anything? I lifted one of the packs off my back. This is for you. Kale's smile was small and grateful. This is for real. We're free. We are. I had no idea if we'd be got, if the NEA would take us on, but right now together, we at least had a chance. Though the next couple of days had been exhausting, we'd kept a steady course north. Unfortunately, the temperature had dropped significantly today after the sun had set, and as the wind picked up, it made it impossible to keep going. We should stop, I said, dropping my pack to the ground. It's too early. Kale shivered and I chuckled. Come on, I'll start a fire. Kale grabbed a few pieces of fallen wood as I cleared his spot for the fire. If we don't find an NEA camp soon, we might freeze to death, he said, handing me three small branches. The mountains are getting close, Evan. Maybe we should have gone to Boulder. Too dangerous and too far, especially dressed as freedom militia. At least this way, if we're found, we're alone, and we have a better chance of pleading our case. He rolled up his sleeve and exposed his tattoo. We escaped. I pushed up my sleeve and stared at the number on my skin. Exactly. I reached for his hand. His skin was cold between my palms. You're freezing. He laughed and pulled me into a hug. So are you. I should get the fire going, I said, wishing we were someplace safe, a place where I could hold him like this for more than the necessity of staying warm. With the matches in my bag and the dry pine needles on the ground, it didn't take long to start a fire. With the wind, though, I wasn't sure how long I could keep it lit. Kale opened his pack and was about to hand me a can of meat when I heard the snap of a tree branch. Shush, I ordered, and stood slowly. Did you hear? Put your hands up. The woman's voice, loud and sure, bounced off the trees. Kale and I both obeyed as she took a step forward, her rifle pointed at us. She wore the gray fatigues of the NEA. The signature patch over her heart, a compass with a rifle through its center. You boys lost. This is Essentials territory. Her accent reminded me of my mother's friend from Minnesota. Well, what used to be Minnesota. We were... Stop talking. She interrupted me. I'll ask the questions. Yes, ma'am. Kayu glanced at me, but I kept my eyes on hers. Are there more of you? No, it's just us, Kayu said, and her gaze jumped back and forth between us. I see O is checking the perimeter. If you're lying, 
It's only us. We're runaways. We escaped. I assured her. She narrowed her eyes. Escaped. We were prisoners. Kale's voice shook. We stole these uniforms and ran, hoping to find NEA. Is that so? A man, whom I assumed was her CO by the stripes on his uniform, stepped out from the shadows, but didn't pull his weapon. Lower your hands. His voice didn't lack authority, but I wasn't afraid. He was taller than me, more muscle for sure, but he had kind eyes. Pale gray and tired, but kind all the same. I lowered my hands and Kale did as well. The man checked my wrist first. Where were you imprisoned? He asked. Elysium. He cringed and asked Kale the same thing, rubbing his thumb over Kale's ink. Elysium as well. Put down your gun, Sammy, he said, and let go of Kale's wrist. These men are not militia. She didn't seem sure, but she did as she was told. I probably should have kept my mouth shut, but those kind eyes held mine, and guilt bubbled up my throat. I was a dusk guard, sir. Eben, Kale warned, but I kept rambling, even when Sammy raised her gun again. I was once a prisoner, pardoned, but I thought you should know the truth. I was a guard. And you helped him escape? He asked. Yes. Why? The man waved his hand, and Sammy lowered her gun again. Because, because, he cares. He cares about me. Kale's tone was proud. Because he cared enough to do the right thing. None of us wanted the hand we've been dealt, but he's the only one in a long time to do something about it. Kale threaded his fingers through mine. Well, then. The man's smile was crooked as it reached for his eyes. Welcome to the NEA. Thomas! Sammy stared at us in disbelief. This is highly irregular. I'm in charge, Sammy, and I say they're in. Got a problem with it? Talk to Margie. It's cold as fuck and my balls are freezing. Let's roll out. She rolled her eyes, but held her rifle tight in her hand. I'm Thomas, second lieutenant, and this is Private Warner. She's a little surly when she's hungry. Don't mind her. Eben. I held out my hand. And this is Kale. Thomas shook our hands, and eventually Sammy did too. Camp is about a mile east. Let's put out this fire and head back before it snows. You're lucky we found you. You'd both be dead by morning with the storm coming in. We are very grateful, Kale said as he grabbed his pack. Are you armed? Sammy asked, and Kale shook his head. Eben has a small knife in his bag. That's it. She searched our bags and confiscated the knife, while Thomas helped me put out the fire. Looks dead to me, I said, and Thomas nodded. Everything good, Sammy? 
he asked. She exhaled and ran a hand through her red curls with a small smile. I hate that you're always right. Dama surprised me and kissed her on the cheek. You can thank me later. Ready, boys. Kale and I stared at each other, his lips fighting to suppress a smile as I took his hand in mine. Yeah, I think we are. Epilogue Kale Two months later My breath seeped past my lips, forming a cloud of fog as I made my way back to the tent. My hair was still wet from the bath. Frost clung to the ends as snow fell in fat clumps around me. A soft orange glow emanated from the rows of tents that looked more like huts as laughter and idle chatter filled the air. Such a difference from the hell I'd been in only two months ago. This was one of the first NEA settlements. It was a city made of hard work, canvas, wood, and hope. Hey, Kale. Sammy's little girl ran past me, her boots crunching in the snow. Hey, Nora. I smiled as she waved a mitten-covered hand over her shoulder. Nora escaped from her tent again. Eben asked as I stepped inside. Looks like it. I shrugged out of my jacket, and Eben's warm arms wrapped around my bare chest. I missed you today. He pressed his full lips to the crook of my neck, and all the blood in my body pumped directly south to my groin. Did you guys find any more runaways? Not today. You. I shook my head and turned in his arms. Some days, I wonder if this camp is all that is left of civilization. Wouldn't that be so bad? Evan asked. His hand slid down my back to my ass and he pulled me against him. He was hard, and I groaned as he kissed me. Times like this were rare. Eben and I were scavengers. Our days were long and hard, trudging through the mountains and snow, looking for runaways, survivors, life beyond the camp. Both of us too tired to indulge in the luxury of each other on most nights. Perhaps it was more than that. Maybe it, it had just taken us this long to finally feel safe. Eben reached into my sweats, his hand hot, and stoked me. My head tipped back and I moaned my jaw tight as he nipped my chin. God, I love the way you sound when I touch you. I reached for him, but he pulled away, dragging me down onto the makeshift mattress made of cow hides, elk furs, and old blankets. It was a generous setup compared to Elysium. Eben's kiss consumed me, his tongue tasting mine, his teeth on my lips, the heat of his breath something I'd never get used to. I'd never get used to this, never forget how lucky we both were to feel this way, to be free, to have his body like this, to give him mine without consequence. Take off your pants, he breathed, and I smiled against his needy mouth. You too. Naked and overheated, his scent filled my lungs, soap, mint, and sacks. Oh, fuck, he growled as I took both our cocks in my hand. Kale. Eben whispered my name, 
His forehead pressed to my brow as I moved my hand in a slow, torturous pace. With Eben's hand on my neck, his dirty words on my lips, he bumped his hips, urging my rhythm, begging me to go faster. Please, he begged, and I gave in. He swore as I tightened my grip, his tongue diving into my mouth. I jacked us both fast and rough till we were both shaking and sticky and relieved. My chest heaving, I kissed him, lazy, and with one last stroke, he shuddered. Eben ran his palm through the mess on my stomach, his kiss possessive. I did the same, my fingers skating over his skin. I didn't think, I whispered. I mean, I never thought I'd get to have this again. Eben trailed his finger over my lips and I licked it, loving the salty taste of us, the taste of home. Me either, he said and kissed my forehead. Shadows of the snow falling outside dotted the canvas walls of the tent, a reminder that the world still existed beyond us, beyond this moment. We have no clue what could happen tomorrow or next week. If we'll ever have electricity, if the virus is really gone, if the militia will take power again, and what if... Gail. He chuckled. Remember what Thomas said. Every day is a new breath. Each step we take means something. The steps I've taken led me to you. And to this. I don't think we're lucky, Kale. I don't think luck deserves that much credit. He kissed me deep, my heart sated and heavy for him. We earned this. You saved my life. He draped his arm over my waist and I inch closer. You saved me, too. The dip of his nose brushed along the line of my jaw. New day, new breath. Mm-hmm. Eben hummed as he placed wet kisses along my collarbone. With you, I said, and his dark eyes met mine. For you. I kissed his brow. For us. This has been Into Elysium, a short story by A.M. Johnson. Read to you by Joshua McRae. Welcome back. Hi. We will put everything in the show notes for you guys to be able to click. Everything. Oh my gosh. We have I so many things ask, in the show notes. Is Teach Me Out? Oh shit, I don't know. Is it? We haven't talked Do we about have it back yet? We haven't talked we about have um when it was or like talked about it at all, have we? No, I don't think so. What's what's today's date? Fuck. We should have talked about this sooner. Yeah, I know, that's why I was like, um, I think it might be coming out like now. So. Yeah, yeah. When this podcast airs, it should be out. Okay. So yeah, if you're if you're listening still now, we have a, it's a student teacher romance. It's nasty mixed with some like, like she's a stripper, stripper for stuff. a second and all kinds mm-hmm. of dirty stuff yep. like that. So I'll put all that kinds in the of show drama. too. So it's nasty. It's extra dirty. This one went extra dirty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even the cover is nice and, and erotic. Oh yeah, 
It's super dirty, too. Um, up next week, we've got Evie Mitchell, The A-List. So, we've got that coming next week. It's a brand new book she's brought us. We're super excited so to have excited it. So. She's freaking organized. I know. I know. Oh, she sent it in. Let's see. I have her turn-in date. It was August 15th. She sent me this That's when beautiful she this Dropbox box file with all this stuff in oh, it. Oh, yeah. She was like, here's your link. Here's everybody's access She gave to me a it. page where I'm going to be able to just copy and paste everything. I'm like, this is uh-huh. nice. <laughs> this is amazing. I know. She's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be All great. right. Well, tell so, them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make sure your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance, read, read me romance, read me romance, read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book, that's fine, or you could sit back, relax, and unwind and read.